Under the Cortex is supported by Macmillan Learning Psychology. For the community, with the community is a popular notion that psychologists use when they do community-oriented research. How can psychological research help communities? What are the best practices to work with underrepresented populations? What is the role of scholars to give back to minority groups when they do research with them? This is Under the Cortex. I am Özge Gürcanlı Fischerbaum with the Association for Psychological Science. To answer these questions, I have with me two extremely accomplished scholars whose expertise are connected to their personal identity and background. Dr. Patricia Rodriguez Espinoza is an assistant professor in the Department of Epidemiology and Population Health and also serves as the Associate Director of Research for the Office of Community Engagement at Stanford Medicine. The goal of her research is to decrease health inequities among racial ethnic minority populations, particularly Latinxs and immigrant communities, through transdisciplinary and community-engaged scholarship. Dr. Luz Garcini is the Interim Director of the Center for Community and Public Health at the Kinder Institute for Urban Research, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences, and a Faculty Scholar at the Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University. Dr. Garcini is a licensed clinical psychologist and an epidemiologist, and her research focuses on identifying, understanding, and addressing the health needs of historically marginalized communities from a community-engaged approach. They both recently joined us at APS's new webinar series, Science for Society. It was such a well-received, productive conversation that we also invited them to our podcast for our audience to learn from them about the nuts and bolts of community-oriented research. Patricia and Luz, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to Under the Cortex. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks again. And I would like to dive right into my questions. Um, my first question is, what is community-oriented research for you? What makes it different from other forms of research? I am happy to, to get us started. Uh, I think as psychologists, we have long focused on improving population health and well-being. However, our traditional research methodologies have oftentimes struggled to translate that research into real actionable steps to reduce uh, health inequities. We know that communities with little social capital particularly suffer from an unfair burden of disease and mortality, and hence uh, new research orientations have emerged, including community engagement, community-based participatory research, as new orientations with the potential to better engage those same communities and promote sustainable improvement in health and move the needle on what we can do with our science. Words matter uh, in this context. I will not say community-oriented, but I prefer to use terms like center or community-driven. So we really are explicit in sending the signal that we're starting from issues and topics that are really of importance for the community and that we're really sharing the leadership 
the resources and the ownership of that work with our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. And I want uh, our audience to know about your research a little bit more. Uh, Patricia, which communities do you particularly work with? Absolutely. I work primarily with Latinx or Latino communities, both here in my local area as well as across the country. I do a lot of work with immigrant populations, with Spanish-speaking populations, and I do a lot of work partnering with smaller grassroots organizations who are serving the need of those community members who oftentimes don't have access to, to many resources and are um, having a fair burden of disease and also living in a context that does not support uh, their health or oftentimes their health of their future generations. I am a member of this community. I am an immigrant Latina uh, female myself. I have lived and continue to live in this same community. Some from a personal experience have witnessed the many challenges that these families and communities face in maintaining their health and achieving social mobility. And really what many of them came to this country to do, achieving the American uh, dream. But also from an academic standpoint, I have long uh, had an interest in Latino or Latinx uh, health. I started my work studying topics related to cultural adaptation process and trying to understand uh, decreasing health of these communities over time. And the more I did that work and the more I was exposed uh, to other scientists in the work, especially really good work from sociologists and public health scholars, really understanding that it was not necessarily individuals' cultures or their own uh, risks or protective factors, but it was really our society and the many things that were exposing some of these immigrant communities the longer they are in the U.S., including structural racism, discrimination, exclusionary policies that really impact their health uh, over time. So that has shaped uh, my own work and my own science. And I have a long-term commitment now and passion to address those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Luz, what about you? Which communities do you particularly work with and why those communities? Yes, yeah, similar to Patricia, I work with uh, Latino immigrant communities that have been historically marginalized, so the undocumented community, uh, communities with low level of acculturations. I have the privilege of working with migrants on both sides of the border. Uh, so we do some work on migrant shelters before the migrants come to the United States and also with the United States. And then within that, I like to emphasize the role of intersectionality within these communities, if we think about, for instance, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, right, that are in these conditions, or um, people who have other marginalized identity. So um, it's always important to give that lens in order to be able to contextualize our work appropriately. Mm -hmm. And one motto I hear from scholars whose work focuses on communities is for the community, with the community. What is this motto? You both mentioned this in uh, passing as you describe your passion about the research you do. But let me ask you more clearly, how do you apply this motto in your research? Absolutely. I like to say uh, we can think of this as a bit of a spectrum of how we might partner or engage communities. 
we can think of work that is done in communities, oftentimes fairly one directional. This is a lot of the science that we tend to do. And the next level is work that's done with communities. Most of my work is at the final level or one step above that, which is work done by the community. And there are multiple ways uh, of thinking about that. One of them is the research question that we really listen to the community. I have, for example, all of my projects tend to include a community advisory board. So making sure that we hear the voices of those most impacted by the issue, uh, that could be patients, depending on, on the area that you are working on, individuals living in a particular area where you're hoping to do an intervention, etc. But oftentimes, uh, for me, it also includes partners and organizations who have already been organizing to address that issue in particular, making sure they're also at the table. And as projects ensue, another way is to think For example, as you're hiring members for your lab or for your team or for a particular project, ensuring that you're hiring members of the community as well and that your projects include work uh, that relates to living capacity. So thinking about capacity building, I do a lot of work in thinking about trainings. For example, I have a project where we have done over 50 hours of training for community health workers. So making sure your work always includes a capacity building component. So long after the study or the grant is done, if you're a student yourself or you work with students, knowing that it's great students graduate and they should, uh, but oftentimes thinking about what are the sustainability implications uh, of that as well for your partners. So there's many, many ways that we can think about really integrating this into the work that we do but always, always thinking about how do we incorporate both leadership and resource sharing with our community partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is really important to make sure that your community is involved and sharing information, research with them and hearing uh, their voices. Luz, what do you think about this? How do you apply these principles? Yes, so uh, in my perspective, very similar uh, along the lines of what Tricia is saying, right, is being the community as an expert and to be guiding their research through their voice, to be using the values and the principles of the community as the guiding force that that decides on the research agenda, but also most importantly, the timing, right? And for us researchers also um, requires for us to be aware of the context. And I'm not talking only about the present context, but the historical context in which the research takes place. So what has been that history for the community so that that kind of sets the tone in terms of the how we go about doing the research that we do. Uh, the other thing that is particularly important also is to take an approach of an empowerment and liberatory focus. What, what I mean by that is that the research has a social justice component, right? So how is this information going to empower the community? How is this information ethically going to move the community towards addressing their needs or addressing those gaps in knowledge that we don't have, um, making sure that we don't contribute to stigmatize the community? So for me, I try to stay rooted in a strength-based approach that allows us to open our eyes in terms of 
how does this community continue to thrive even in the midst of the so much adversity that that they face so that we elevate the voices uh, and be able to use this knowledge to advance policy and advocacy for the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, as both of you uh, both know, in psychological research, there's a movement called Unweirding Psychology. So for those of you who don't know what it is, uh, our listeners, so the term weird is used to describe a lack of diversity in research. It stands for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. So how do you think your research helps with this new perspective of unweirding psychology? Absolutely. I think... uh... There are some good things about this movement and some things for us to think about, which is great that we're having this conversation. I think the general gist of the argument being that a lot of our science, our behavioral as psychological science, has relied on an extremely narrow population from which we have hoped to generalize larger principles, generalized to humanity, etc. It's definitely something that, that we all should be examining and thinking about. However, this movement has also received some backlash. Oftentimes, one of the promises or the things that are attractive of community engagement has been this promise that we're very able to recruit members of minoritized sites uh, communities. And there is some truth to that. However, I like to mention that that is actually not the goal. We get there as a follow-up. The goal of that science is to produce work that really tackles issues that are of importance to the community, that has the potential to to solve real-world issues, especially those related to injustices, to inequities. And because of that, oftentimes our communities and our community partners are empowered through that process. They're more eager to help, whether that's in recruitment, in some other form uh, of data collection. Uh, And those are, so the the issues of uh, recruiting a diverse sample, of having inclusive participation are things that we tend to, to see within community engagement projects. However, that was not the goal of the project. We get there because we're engaging in all these other best practices that allow allow our community partners to really come to the table. So it's not an end all be all. And I hope that that is not what we're thinking of, that the ultimate goal is just simply achieving inclusive or diverse participation on our science. But we get there because we're flipping the script and we're doing science that really matters uh, to our community partners and that we're creating the avenues for them to participate. So I want us to think a little bit about flipping the script, engaging in some of the best practices of community engagement, and as a potential output, this inclusive participation and diversity will follow. But it is not the goal, and I would argue it should not be our goal. Our goal should be to produce in that science that's really meaningful and really impactful for our communities. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, echoing what Patricia just said, that uh, this this research is about stepping out of the box and doing in ways that are the preferred ways of the community, right? To think about the methodologies that we use and to step out of the box and experiment with different kinds of methods, with different kinds of experiences, to take an interdisciplinary approach. 
um, one of the works that we've been trying to do is thinking about how do we decolonize the IRB process, right? Maybe the rigid protocols that we have for IRB might not apply to our to these communities so that we need to um, be more flexible in our approach if we are going to gather these voices. One example of that is that sometimes we cannot make our data publicly available. There's a lot of sensitive information. And if we are going to gain trust from these communities, uh, we're going to have to set foot and perhaps not make it publicly available. Right. How our informed consent, my informed consents, I can tell you, look very different than the traditional informed consents that is used in academia. And it often takes me several sessions meeting with IRB, explaining them why we have to do things in a very different way. So I think if we are going to truly have a commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion, we need to center community-engaged approaches to science uh, within all of these methodologies to be able to create a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very uh, complex answer. Thank you very much uh, for answering this question from all perspectives. Um, so you mentioned this as you were answering my question, uh, but I want to uh, follow up. Uh, what are the obstacles that you face when you do your research? Yeah, I, I think absolutely Lou started to describe some of those, especially the education that we still need to do of our own institutions to change some of the practices, the IRB being a large one, our ability to send payment to our community partners in a timely fashion is another one that we oftentimes have challenges in as well. Uh, but a couple of other ones also come to mind, for example, especially for any students listening or our junior faculty, that this is time-consuming work. It takes a long time to develop the trust, to develop the partnerships before you're even thinking about being in the field with a particular research study. So oftentimes, if we are engaged in this work, we have to find other ways of showing productivity to our institutions so that might be one of the places where we can advocate for change, where this work is recognized when we're thinking about tenure, about our promotion processes, uh, so we can show that we're actually spending a lot of time just simply doing different things that maybe some of our colleagues uh, might be doing. And another one that I like to point out is oftentimes also the lack of funding for those earlier stages of partnership development. We are seeing a lot more funding lately calling for community engagement approaches, and that is really exciting to see. But for anybody getting started, you oftentimes need funding in that beginning stages to have meetings with your partners, to start very small in some projects that might not necessarily yet meet the criteria for a large funding study, for a federal funding but oftentimes no one funds that beginning stage. People somehow want us to already be at a very advanced uh, partnership stage uh, and they're not necessarily funding those early stages. Or I mentioned capacity building. Oftentimes many partners are doing a lot of co-learning sessions together to really learn from one another, to develop what those partnership practices should be. Might have external facilitators who come in and do partnership agreement facilitations or others, but it's really, really hard to find funding for those. 
Yeah, I echo, I echo Patricia, and thank you so much for outlining all of those barriers. And, and not to repeat, but to add on to what she just said, beautifully said, actually, it's the trust. The trust, uh, a lot of these communities have been used before by researchers or the data hasn't been protected. Um, so I tend to, one of the approaches that I do is that we need to think about giving before receiving. Right. So as researchers, what can we give the community? We have a lot of power and privilege. So what what are the tools? What are the resources that we can bring the community so that we can rebuild that justify mistrust that exists uh, and that has existed for so long? The other one, I would say the logistics. Uh, because for the community, the community is hard, is, is busy, right? A lot of these historically marginalized um, communities, they work three jobs, you know, eight days a week. So we need to adapt when we do our study. So it is not in our time, but it's in their time. So often my research takes place at nights on the weekends when people are not working because that's when they can jump in. You know, it requires us sometimes to bring babysitters, right, in the field to be doing it in the middle of cooking tamales or, you know, being in a place with a lot of noise or even if it takes us to the streets, so that we're accommodating to the needs. Transportation is another uh, aspect that we often need to consider. Uh, where are they going to go? And are the spaces that they're going to go uh, be safe for them? What are some of those? I can tell you, for instance, churches is are an important place where people feel safe, but that requires a lot of negotiation and time. Um, another important limitation that we face is the measures, right? So if we're going, and this is the importance of using mixed methods that also allows us to get the qualitative data, uh, because oftentimes those quantitative measures that we're using were not developed for these populations. And it, it transcends language. Is sometimes the way things are asked, the meaning of these questions, that um, that won't allow us to get the data uh, in the way that we need to, and that increase the risk for us to be gathering information, uh, to be getting into information biases. And lastly, I would say the importance of sustainability. That you know, it's not only to be present in these communities while the grants are there, right? While the funding is there, or while the study it is, but. We need to keep these long-term relationships for the long term and to be stepping in situations that are hard with the community uh, and to be there, present, like I said, giving before uh, receiving over time. And uh, because if we don't, then that fits the cycle of contributing to the mistrust um, that continues to make it very hard to become inclusive in our science. This is very insightful. Uh, thank you very much. And I would like to ask you, um, is there anything else that you would like to share with uh, our audience about your research? I can go ahead on that one. <laughs> um, I think it is important to have the boots on the ground. You know, a lot of people claim that doing diversity research without actually stepping into the communities and spending some time with, with the people, getting to know the people. Uh, training our future generation of scientists, of providers to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you, Patricia? 
Absolutely. I echo uh, Lucy's comments. I would say maybe for any of our listeners who are interested in doing more of this work and you're maybe unsure of how to get started is follow what Lou said. Go to the community, find out which are the groups who are doing working areas that you're particularly interested in and just make an effort to go. You just have to show up at the beginning. No agenda, no need to speak at a meeting. If you're showing up, that oftentimes comes as a measure of trust. Slowly, people start realizing, oh, there's this person who tends to be at all of our meetings or our events. And I think over time, you'll start uh, developing new partnerships. Partners will come to you. People might start asking for your opinion on topics. So this is like any relationship. It takes a while and you have to really pay attention to the individuals and to the relationship, but simply don't be afraid to get started. And over time, your partners will tell you what to do, how to implement things, what to pursue, not to pursue. I think your job at the beginning is to really give, give as much as you can and show up uh, for your community and your community organizations. Thank you, Patricia and Luz. Uh, thanks again one more time for joining me today. So this was a lovely conversation. And uh, this is Özge Gürcanlı Fischerbaum with APS. And I have been speaking to Dr. Patricia Rodriguez Espinosa from Stanford Medicine and Dr. Luz Garcini from Rice University. If you want to know more about this research, visit psychologicalscience.org. Are you looking for a way to connect with every student in your course and help each individual succeed? Macmillan Learning has the solution. Achieve for Psychology. Achieve offers goal setting and reflection surveys that allow students to share their aspirations, thoughts, concerns, and obstacles about successful learning. These valuable insights enable you to catch students before they're in crisis. Use the goal setting and reflection data to tailor your teaching to meet the needs of each student, both as individuals and as a class. Don't just take our word for it, experience it yourself. Visit macmillanlearning.com slash under the cortex for an introductory tour today. Macmillan's Achieve for Psychology, engaging every student, supporting every instructor, setting the new standard for teaching and learning.